good morning, good afternoon or good evening to you, depending on when you're watching this edition or listening to it if you're on the uh, audio version of the podcast of Hypnosis Week Live. It's me again, Alex William Smith by birth, but better known to many of you as Jonathan Royal, the British bad boy of hypnosis of MagicalGuru.com. And I am delighted to have a uh, a guest with us who, in, in, in terms of stage hypnosis in England, is definitely one of the longest established stage hypnotists that we've got um anyone who who knows the business if you don't know in england let's just say that a lot of people who were in it went out of business in the sort of mid to late 90s the gentleman i'm about to introduce you to is still doing it to this day he's not just a stage hypnotist he's also helped people and i'm going to probe his mind about some of the experiences he's had with hypnotherapy and also he uh, shares another one of my loves which is magic i don't mean devil worshipping magic i mean magic as in paul daniels david copperfield and pulling rabbits out of arts and all that kind of sleight of hand and entertaining forms of trickery so please welcome to the show the man who is you can see him on screen but for those who've not yet met him mr dave ross and how are you doing buddy yeah morning then fine good so look dave where i mentioned what you do now uh as such although i did miss out one bit that you you're moving more into the realms of acting and stuff which we'll get into later but how the hell did you end up involved in all this because you i know that you know your background you you worked on submarines and stuff didn't you yeah i was in the navy for uh 22 years and um in about oh 1980 I was on a submarine and uh, one of our officers um, was a magician as a a hobby Mm. and he tricked in the mess and uh, it really absolutely blew my mind and one that really stuck in my mind uh, was the invisible deck i.e the brainwave deck and it blew me away and then I remember when we came back off patrol going to um, Blackpool uh, for a weekend and to the the magic convention yeah to the house of secrets and um oh. yeah and I, I i went in there and i actually said can you sell me that invisible pack of cards and he said oh do you mean this one and demonstrate the trick and uh, i bought it and that was the sort of like introduction to magic really for people who haven't got any magic background who are watching and listening to this well what's the effect obviously i know but there'll be a lot of people watching and listening who don't <laughs> okay well the effect is that um somebody um thinks of a card or in their mind say the four of diamonds and then you can produce a a pack of cards and you can open the pack and their card will be the one that's reversed the only one in the pack i mean it's as you know it's an amazing effect Mm. yeah you should be on commission there'll be be tons of hypnotherapists and hypnotists going online now looking for the invisible deck or brainwave deck yeah 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 so that for people, oh, ironically, you could. I'm not, I'm not saying you should, but hypnotherapists, seriously, who believe, and I don't mean that derogatory, but it's all about your own state of mind. But if you believe hypnotherapies help through having a certain rapport, you could actually, by merely saying to you, hypnotherapy client, look, I've spoke to you for a few minutes, and then just let me try an experiment, and apparently go under your desk and apparently turn one card face down in 
a deck of cards and then put them back in the box and put them on your deck uh, on the table. You don't actually, you're just miming that. It'll make sense if you buy a brainwave deck or an invisible deck. And then say to them, look, I've been listening to you and I've been getting a vibe and I want to see if we're in tune. Because if we're in tune, I know that the work we do here today together is going to be completely successful for you. And then get them to name a card, open the deck, show that there's one card face down, it's the card they said, and it's got an entirely different colour back or whatever. And if you understand that that, that moment, they will be like, what the hell? I don't know what's going on. Bows of mine. And that moment is arguably this, you've just to see, um, achieved critical faculty bypass, haven't you? Absolutely, yeah. It's a, it blew me away when I saw it. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that was my introduction to magic, really. And then um, obviously I was still in the Navy um, up until 98, but um, I didn't get into hypnosis till 93, albeit when I was 16. I remember going to Blackpool and seeing Lord Payne. I'm sure you remember. Oh, Lord yeah. Payne. He used to do the uh, Horseshoe Show Bar where obviously Cam Webster uh, was... took over. That's right, yeah. And I remember seeing it at when I was 16, in fact, I still remember it to this day with him getting out the, the bicycle handles and him wearing a long gown like a monk type thing. And it was very droll, very boring. And, you know, I wanted it to really get going. And uh, I remember seeing it then. And then the other hypnotist who's still going, who's, who's amazing, um, is um, someone you don't talk about. So there you go. <laughs> so we won't talk about You're allowed it. to. Um... <laughs> You're totally, it's not that I don't talk about them. I have nothing, um, despite anything that people may, may be aware of and totally defamatory lies and bullshit they published in the past, cannot deny the fact that as a stage hypnotist, they are uh, a master of what they do. Absolutely. I mean, I saw the, the, the gentleman... Andrew Newton, amazing, absolutely amazing hypnotist. And he was the one I saw after Lord Payne. We're going back a long time. I think it was about 18. And I even remember where it was at. It was at Stone Chair in Halifax in a pub. And again, that blew me away. But it just sat in the background, shall we say, of my mind. And, and that was it. It was just it's in a pub. He'll hate the fact you've mentioned that. Oh, OK. Well, never, I... never worked in pubs, has he? Well, it, it did a long, long time ago. Obviously, I'm a lot older. And, uh, but there you go. You know, we all got to start somewhere, haven't we? Even I started clubs and things. And then um, my, my, basically, until about, what, 93? I think it was about 93. And then Paul McKenna became really top line on TV, didn't he? Mm. And that brought my interest back again. And so I bought the Encyclopedia of Hypnosis. Uh, on the McGill one, and I remember taking it to sea with me on the submarine, and I decided, I was saying to all my crew members, I'm going to learn this, because we were going away for three months, and um, I, I learned it parrot fashion, so I was learning something from, dare we say, 1920 or whatever, in 1990 times, you know, it was a lot of years um, previous to that so I'm learning very old school way a long and drawn out method and um, so I, I learned that and obviously my captain won't let me use uh, on board at all I wasn't allowed to practice or anything so I had to wait till I get back before I could even start to practice on people shall we say for another better word 
and I, I started doing it on my mates after I got back. So, but yeah, that's how I started really, and and self-taught. Once you're away on the submarine, is that literally you're underwater for the full three months? Yeah, three months under the water. Yeah, um, my uh, most amazing time was under the sea. Well, should I say under the ice for ten weeks? and surfacing at the North Pole, that was the most amazing time. So that was brilliant. And we were at the North Pole for a day. So that was amazing, yeah. But yeah, you're under the whole... When you surface, did you get out of the submarine as well? Yeah, when you surface. I mean, I've been to America, been all over, uh, Caribbean, Gibraltar's, all over the world on the submarine. Yeah, when you go on what's called a jolly, which is... a um, you go uh, to various ports. I've been to America, um, fired the first Trident missile. Um, I was on HMS Vanguard, which was the first Trident, and fire, we fired that. And so it, it was amazing. Yeah, I love my time in the Navy. I'm going to ask you two really random questions. It's only because you've been in a submarine, you say. It's not <laughs> hypnosis related, but both of these are totally off the wall, potentially. But I'm sure somebody listening or, or viewing will... Be glad to hear your view on this. Number one, when you surfaced in the submarine in the North Pole yeah. and looked outside, as it were, is it the end of the Earth? Because, the, you know, the, the flat Earth, as some of them say, well, you know, the edge is where nobody goes. It's um, the no. North Pole. As such, no, because at the North Pole, it's, 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 still, it's, a, it's a pack of ice uh-huh. and, and it's moving all the time. So, no, it's... It, but it's not flat either but um, you can see for quite a way and um, but yes it was just very in fact it was only about we went in may time so it was only minus 10 oh good god so it wasn't too bad actually and um we, we had the the uk sent a couple of nimrods up from the raf to um take photographs of us of us there was two of us surface there and all the lads on on the ice and everything so it was great yeah we played football and all sorts the second bonkers question slightly um there's a there's talk well you see you even see it on the history channel sometimes now in search of atlantis the underground uh, underwater world have you ever seen anything underwater that might just really odd other than maybe shipwrecks or whatever you can't see anything you just because there's no windows on a submarine um is there not? no no all right there's no windows um i've had some dare i say very scary times that i'm not allowed to talk about but there is one where we um we're going off track now um but uh, it is on google so i'm allowed to talk about it yeah uh, just briefly mention it, and then they can people who are interested can look you up then. Yeah, uh, excellent. On um, Google, and it's on HMS Scepter I was on, and it was in 1981, and um, we hit a Russian submarine. And I'll say oh. no, but they, if you Google it, you can find out lots of information about what happened to us. Oh, right. I'll definitely be doing that after. I'm sure other people, everyone's curious now, curious. <laughs> which is one of the keys, curiosity, attention, fixation of the mind for hypnosis. So, yeah, you, you got back to land, uh, getting back on onto the storyline. Sorry sure. for diverting that. Um, and you started practising on your mates. Now, I always I, I always recall, or I can't bloody remember, it's years since I read Armand's book, but I'm sure even he says, don't, 
don't try this out on your mates. They knew you when you weren't a hypnotist. Absolutely correct. Yes, you are right. And I, I, I re-emphasise that to the same thing again. But again, I'm saying mates. I mean, it was the Navy lads. And when you're in the Navy, they're up for anything, you know. And oh. yeah, let me have a go and stuff like that. They, they, they were like, yeah, go on. And because the, being in the forces, people are easier to hypnotise because you're so used to taking orders. Do this, do that, stand up, do this, move that. It, it, it was easy, the most easiest people to hypnotise. Uh, forces people as you know uh, as in the military the police the nurses uh, teachers people like that uh, easy well especially if the commanding sergeant or whatever the rank is is the one who's in charge of paying you and he makes it known to them because they don't want to upset the person who'd booked you do they absolutely yeah so so it, it was it was a good grounding for me to um to learn you know using shall we say lots of military friends like that yeah it was good so you got the hang of it obviously um at what point i mean how how do you go at some point you went from being in the navy yeah in submarines yeah to learning this to you know what i'm gonna I'm, i'm i'm gonna make a career out of magic hypnosis and all this weird stuff yeah, well, what happens is they retire at 40 from the Navy. All right. Um, so what I decided when I decided to learn hypnosis, um, I was about 33, seven years to go. And so as well as me going away to sea and when I was coming back from sea and I was on land, I would go and start, you know, doing shows and things like that. And then I was doing it in conjunction with still being in the Navy sort of thing. And as I was winding down, I decided this is what I want to do. I want to go live in Spain. I want to be a professional hypnotist. This is my, the, the shall we say, the third part of my life. You know, out every 20 years. Third mm-hmm. part, this, this is what I want to do. And so um, I decided that um, as I'm winding down, and I'll I'll go and um, you know chase my dream in Spain and. And that's what I did. And for 20 years, I had a fantastic time. Well, you became the known. It's changed a little bit in the past few years. But generally speaking, sort of from the mid 90s up till a few years ago, most of the. um, I'm not going to say seaside, but the holiday resorts overseas, There'd be several hypnotists there, but one in particular was getting the best venues and the rest were just getting the crumbs. And you really established yourself in Ibiza. Uh, yeah. You were the one You were the one leading the pack out there. Eventually I was. I mean, I wasn't when I first went there because Ibiza, for those who don't know, is only a small island. It was only, it's only, say, 20 mile by 25 mile. And when I went there in 99, there was already four hypnotists on the island and every one of them was working every night. It was so busy. It was fantastic. And then I was another hypnotist and we all had work and we all had enough work for for every hypnotist. So it, it, it was amazing. And, uh, and then eventually, over the years, when things started to change in the industry, as in the hospitality industry, whereby you would have British hotels, German hotels, Spanish hotels, you know, that type of thing, lots of cabaret venues, it was changing in as much as that um, the, the British hotels 
couldn't survive as such. So they were having to bring in Germans, Spanish. They were going international per se. Is that roughly when it started becoming all inclusive as well? So people were staying in the hotels rather than going out to the cabaret venues. Yeah, and and it started to change drastically. And within a few years, the the five hypnotists went down to four, then to three, then for the past oh god, what ten years or so, there was only two of us. And then we started to struggle as well. And then the other year, the other hypnotist left. And then last year, well, the other year, then I left. And that was it. There's no hypnotist there on the island at all now. Um, it's it just it, impossible to work there now, unfortunately. It's such a shame. But I had 20 years out of it and had a great time. So, I mean, obviously there's nobody there at the minute. Because of the, at the moment for people finding this in weeks, months or years to come. We're recording this on the 22nd of May 2020. That's relevant because it's while the world's in the grips of the coronavirus, COVID-19 so-called, yeah. which obviously is, uh, would mean that, you know, even if there were hypnotists in Ibiza, they currently wouldn't be able to perform anyway, which, I mean, I was going to come to this later. We, got, we keep going off and on, we keep coming back. We'll get, we'll get there. It's all, but this COVID nonsense, whatever you may think of it, whether it's no more deadly than common flu or it is slightly more deadly, but the figures are so low that 98% of people are surviving. Let's focus on the positive things. Or was it really worth closing down the world? Some places haven't. And there's all those debates. We're not going to go into that. The bottom line is it's happened. At the end of it, there's going to come a point where each country opens up eventually. From what I can tell in England at the moment, although the other day they said they're not going to open schools at the start of June like they said they were going to do, but June at some point schools open, uh, some pubs allowing people out in beer gardens. July, more hospitality opening, but no entertainment, no acts allowed on. The earliest I've seen mention of possibly, you know, allowing the odd bit of entertainment on is maybe some theatres being allowed to start again September, October-ish, but they would have to have, like, you know, the distancing in place. Uh, which and, is pretty grim, wasn't it, you know, in some theatres. with It's going to be a third of the capacity, yeah. So, I mean, there's going to be that. Is it financially going to be viable? Absolutely. And a lot of venues that book us... Um, Corporate event, I mean, private events, if they're making it law, that they're all going to have this social distancing in theory to, to follow for, as far as I can see, possibly, you know, a year or more. Do you think the entertainment industry is fucked at the moment? I mean, I, mean, when, is that, I, I can't, especially stage hypnotists, because a comedian could go on, doesn't have to touch anyone and can tell the gags. Magic-wise, you could do your tricks and change your routine to not have to get volunteers on. But stage hypnotist, I don't yeah. argue you don't need to touch them and you don't have to do a drop back. You could have them stare at a light for that kind of long induction. But purely yeah. from a health and safety point of view, a hypnotist has got to be able to, if need be, run up and stop them falling out of the chairs, haven't they? There's a whole new phrase now. I wouldn't touch somebody with a six-foot barge pole. Maybe you do need a six-foot barge pole to touch them with, you know. But, yeah, it's a shame it's all changing. And um, it'll be interesting to see what happens 
in the future for, for our show, shall we say, as hypnotists. And um, yeah, see see where it goes. Nobody knows. How would you, how would you handle it now? If they, if they turn around tomorrow and said, right, all venues can open back up and then somebody booked you, but you've got to abide by the, the bloody two foot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, two, two metres rather, six foot minimum social distancing. And uh, you've got, you, you know, you've got to wear a, a bloody mask, despite the fact that they're shown to be useless <laughs> under more circumstances. But you've got to. The rules are there. It's the only way they're going to, you know, allow it to happen. How the frig would you go about doing a show? I, I think I'd change and be a ventriloquist and wear a mask. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Perfect time for vent action I- with a mask. Yeah, <laughs> never so, seen them, would they? It'd be brilliant. <laughs> so, you see, you, you've got a bit of an advantage because you've kind of started in the past couple of years, from what I've noticed. Is it like you, you're moving in? You mentioned about chapters in your life, submarining. Yeah. It knows it's like you're moving more towards acting and yeah, script writing and stuff. Tell us a bit about what's happened there. And well, basically, obviously. When I, when I left Ibiza because it was it was coming to an end, shall we say, as it shows. And so I thought, right, I'll, I'll give it up. I'll come back to the UK and um, I'm not bothered about going back. I can go anywhere on holiday. And I wanted to leave it all behind because it's like when I was in the Navy, I left that behind. I did 22 years, left it behind. I've never been back, never been to any reunions. I move on. I move ahead. So I did that and then I've left. I've never been back. I'm not bothered about going back. I've not necessarily kept in contact with people from the island, one or two. But otherwise, I've moved on. And then I thought, right, what can I do now? Um, so I'm always wanting to create things because I get bored just sitting at home. So I thought, right, I'll, I'll get in. I've always in, been into acting. And I thought, I'll go down that route. And uh, that's what I started, decided to do. And I've always... I used to, when I was on the submarine, I used to do a weekly um, newspaper, a comic. I used to write all that. All right. And uh, I've still got all copies of them upstairs and everything. So I kept them all. And, and it used to be amazing. They loved the, the comic that I'd write, uh, the newspaper every week. And so I, I basically thought, right, I'll uh, get into acting in my older life and um, do that. And so I started doing that and did quite a lot last year. And then I decided to write two comedies and I've written I only wrote one actually um, last week I finished it and um, it took me about two weeks and it's just creative in your mind sitting down writing it and it's about 30 odd pages and it's for a, t- a 30 minute TV comedy or even it can be adapted to theatre so you know I, I love writing and, and getting into that side of it and then the, the point now is to try and get them out there and get them seen shall we say the script read and and then see where it evolves from there because once again we don't know about television theater etc you know and while it's quiet i thought well i've written these these producers and television producers etc they're sitting at home being bored i'll push my stuff out there so they can read them now whereas normally they're busy out working uh, you know now's a good time to get it out there yeah grasp the opportunity yeah where um, they yeah um, well that's what i've been doing I'm doing that and, and enjoying it. So, well, yeah. I've noticed on your social media. I mean, you, 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 you've had a lot of an amazing amount of jobs, given that it's something you haven't done for years and years and years. Yeah. You hit the floor running. 
Yeah. So, well, you have to otherwise. You, you could give up your NARC and uh, uh, basically if I had to come back from Ibiza and have to think, oh, God, I'm, uh, here I am, 62 now, I've got to retire. I'll just sit there and wait for God. You know, I, I can't do that. I've always got to be on the go. And, and as you know yourself, as, as being an entertainer, we don't. We, we always procreate and always looking for the next thing to do to to you know get on in life and and to make money and to enjoy ourselves shall we say and to keep your creative mind flowing as well so that's what we do yeah it's important to keep going and be creative yeah because otherwise people you know go downhill as it were in many respects yeah also finding that balance where you don't overexert yourself um so I've got to ask you, for people who don't know watching or listening, you've had quite a few health scares in recent times, haven't you, sir? I did, yes. Um, last um, October, um, I had a heart attack when I was on holiday in Spain, and um, it was quite a shock to me. And um, luckily, um, I, I was rushed off to hospital and uh, had five stents put in and then I was fine for a few months but not allowed to work and then um, I was going on my second holiday in January went off to Cambodia um, for a month and then I had another heart attack while I was just sitting doing nothing actually you know recuperating for want of a better word mm-hmm. all right attack and um, in Cambodia the hospitals are pretty third world and um, so they couldn't do anything there for me and so uh, I was just had to rest for like um, three days and then they took me by ambulance uh, across land for seven hours to Bangkok uh, in blue light seven hours and um, I luckily escaped death by that much and when I got there, um, they'd found the blockage in my artery um, and um, said that um, I was that close to death. And they immediately put another stent in. So I've now got six. Mm-hmm. And, um, then again, I was in Bangkok for a couple of weeks recuperating. And then after that, um, I just uh, managed to come home. In fact, the COVID thing started when I was out in Bangkok and we had Oh. hundreds and thousands of Chinese it was Chinese New Year out there when it all when it all started and everything and then we, we flew back and um, obviously it all I was saying then in January they need to stop flying they need to immediately shut the whole world down because thing is going to spread like wildfire mm. and look at it now you know a few months on so yeah, so that happened to me, and uh, but I'm here today, and I'm on twelve tablets a day, but I'm feeling great, and I go for a daily four mile walk, and I'm feeling good about myself. I'm feeling great. Daily four mile walk, bloody hell, fire, man. Yeah, <laughs> me. Yeah, a d- daily four mile walk, and I feel good, and so I'm just enjoying life uh, as much as life, you know, is going to continue for me. So you've got to think of it like that. Again, I would, the doctors would take me, oh, how are you feeling today? Are you depressed? Say this. No, no, I'm fine. I've done that now. I've had my heart attack. I'm getting on. Yeah, let's, you know, what's happened to me? Let's move on. So I didn't, again, you know, some people can get depressed, go down that route. Oh, God, what's going to happen to me? You know, all this lot. I don't think like that. I just think positive, positive, positive. Move on. That's happened. Uh, and that's you it. Uh, uh, you're having the background. 
the Navy background? Because military mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the military mindset, amazing. Yeah. And obviously hypnotherapy, you know, self-hypnosis helped as well. So, yeah, everything all combined in one. Yeah. Excellent. Now, excellent segue there. You brought in the word hypnotherapy there. I've noticed on social media um, mentioned now and again of people who you've helped with. Yeah. With, with hypnotherapy, including, you know, getting dragged up to Blackpool to help people. Um, yeah. You know, and this, that, the other. So, w- without me being too descriptive, some of them were quite—they weren't just stopping somebody smoking. They've done things a bit more out of the ordinary, as it were. Um, yeah. Can you give us a bit of insight into some of your more unusual and interesting hypnotherapy experiences? Yes, certainly. My my first one was a, a stroke patient. This was in Ibiza. A lady who was forty-two. And she'd had a stroke five years previous. Mm-hmm. And um, she said, can you help me? And her arm uh, was obviously, you know, dead, shall we say, or the left side of her body, which is what happens in a lot of stroke patients, left or right side. And um, I, I I lied. And, and I said, yeah, I can get your arm back. I lied to her. I, I, I had no idea. I, I had never, ever hypnotised a stroke patient in my life. Never. But I told her, that I could get her arm back. And she said, okay. And I said, she said, when can you come and see me? And and I said, okay, I'll come, I don't know, let's say it's Tuesday, I'll, I'll come and see you Friday. And I took my video camera with me. Mm-hmm. And, um, I asked her if I could film her, the session. And she said, yeah, of course you can, no problem. And um, so I, I filmed the, the session and it's on, on YouTube. And um, I spoke to her, she was left-sided with a stroke, so I spoke to the right side of her brain. And um, I told the right side of the brain to make new pathways, neurons, etc., blah, 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 and to raise her arm, her left arm, under hypnosis. And, you know, after 20 minutes, she raised her arm like this, and I was like, oh, <laughs> God what the blown away and then she was a cleaner previous to this and so i told her to imagine that um, she was picking a cloth up and she was cleaning on the top of a a a filing cabinet so she'd pick up the cloth and she'd be like this doing this with her arm and things like that Uh, and then i was just you know saying that to her and then i would say to her right okay when you uh, your arm's back to normal now and then i would touch her on her arm and say, where am I touching you now? And she would say, like, my elbow, my wrist, uh, my thumb, which she previously had no concept of, of anything. Her arm was, in her mind, dead. Yeah. And then when I brought her around, when she came out of hypnosis, um, her arm was still moving like this and everything. And obviously, through stroke patients, there's lots of muscle wasting. And I, I said to her, look, um, here's your arm back now um but you must religiously because i i i know i haven't said this i was a medic in the navy for 20 years ah right okay my background was medical 
So I gave her a set of, of more or less physiotherapy instructions that she must do with her arm, like grab a tennis ball, uh, do this, move your arm up and down, imagine you're cleaning, etc., to, to stimulate her arm, to, to get it back, you know, her brain to say, like, my arm's got to, to do this. Will you do yeah. it? Yes, of course. And then I left her a week, and then I rang her a week later, and she said, um, my arm's died. And I said, what do you mean your arm's died? And she said, it's dead again. And I said, what do you mean? And she's just dead. And I said, did you do those instructions I, get, I gave you? And she said, no. And oh, I said, sorry. do them, then your arm is going to die because it, it, you're not making it work. So I said, I'll come and see you. So I'm, I'm, I'll remember it vividly. I went to her house. She opened the door with her arm, as, as stroke patients do, you know, tucked in her energy. Mm -hmm. And she said, look, my arm's dead. And I said to her, I direct, a direct suggestion, no hypnosis, nothing. And I said to her, raise your hand. And I pointed at her hand like that. And she went like that, took it out of her jeans and went like that. And she said, looked at me, looked at her arm and she went, what the, have you just done? <laughs> and there was a direct suggestion. And I said, I haven't done anything. You've done it. And she couldn't grasp that she'd done it, even though I gave that direct suggestion. And then I said, you don't need, and I said, right, move your arm now, your arm's back like this. Totally direct suggestion, no hypnosis. And her arm was back. And she was like, oh my God. Uh, and she was like this, moving it, looking, moving my arm, shouting at the family, screaming, everything. And again, I said, you must religiously do these instructions. If you don't, again, in a week's time, month's time, your arm will die again because you are not following, you aren't giving your brain those messages for it to open new pathways in your neurons, you know, to, to exercise, to make your, your fingers, everything back again. And, and, you know, she never did it. And a few years later, unfortunately, her arm is, is back as it was, which is. That, that, that's sad. Do you think that um, in the psychotherapeutic fields, not, well, in the medical arena in some areas, it would be called secondary gain syndrome. Do you think that having the dead arm, um, yeah. that perception of disability, brought her attention from family and stuff? That Absolutely, yes, of course, yeah. I, I, I do think so, yes. I mean, she's had it for so long and... And then it was like, well, do I really want to do this? You know, do, do I want my arm back again? So possibly, I, I, I don't know. We're all individual in our own ways. But yeah, she could have done. But but that blew me away that, that you know, through hypnotherapy, how powerful that is that the doctors couldn't help her. But through hypnotherapy, a stroke patient, wow. You know, and, I, and I've, I've read online and... and I, lots of hypnotherapists are helping stroke patients nowadays so that was amazing and then another time I did another lady a stroke patient who this was in the B3 again who came to me she was in a wheelchair and uh, she turned up at my apartment with this other lady who I had no idea it was at all and she never mentioned she just said this is um oh, I can't remember her name but she was Spanish and, and spoke a very broken English and um she said do you mind if my friend watches i went no nah, it's okay and um so i just did the same thing and um 
give her some suggestions, etc., etc. Told her she'd get back on her sticks and she'd get out of her wheelchair because her wheelchair she was using uh, as a she was using that it was there it was her thing to get round and I said you don't need that get back on your sticks and you know you're going from one yeah. down move back move back upwards sort of thing and I did that very powerful and and after the session she started getting on her sticks and everything and she hadn't done it for years and then afterwards after the session she said to me do you know who this woman is I went no and she said this is my doctor and she said um, I brought her along because I learned about what you do and, and they're speaking Spanish and I speak a little bit, but not fluent. And she was amazed at how much I'd helped her in, in a 40 minute session that a doctor hadn't helped her within you know, a few years. So that was very powerful as well. So yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? As you know yourself with the hypnotherapy you've done and what people you've helped as, as I'm sure many other hypnotherapists have, have done. I'm going to put below, below this will be Dave's website uh, link. Um, there will also be a link of go and find his YouTube because I'm sure a lot of you will be interested in seeing, as he mentioned, the video of uh, the session. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, what, what approach did it? Was it literally just metaphorically speaking directly to that part? of uh the brain so-called parts therapy unconscious communication or direct suggestion therapy what what what, what approach do you tend to use well babe i i i know that for a stroke patient if it's if your left side of the body is affected it's the right side of the brain mm-hmm. that's um, got the damage and so and so i just directly spoke to the right side of the brain and i spoke to the to it and, and I and I said, look, the neurons, the nerves and everything, you're going to make new pathways. Because if the old pathways are, are damaged, for want of a better word, I, I just direct direct suggestion saying that it's going to make new pathways down to uh, fingers, uh, thumb, etc. And you're going to make new pathways all the way down. You're going to do them instantly. And you're going to go to the little finger, blah, blah, blah. And you're going to go to the thumb. And that's why I did direct suggestion. And these new pathways are going to happen now. And then when I touch you, you'll be able to know which, you know, which finger I'm touching, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it, it was instantaneously that I could say, where am I touching you? And she said, my thumb, my, my ring finger, my little finger, which, you know, for five years, she'd had no feeling whatsoever. So it was direct suggestion to that part of the brain and to the neurons and telling them that's what they must do now and open new pathways uh, and it instantly worked and, and it it was amazing if anyone thinks that sounds a bit bonkers and out there just do a bit of research on in more recent years uh neuroplasticity of the brain is actually now been hate to use the word science because science is just what they lead us to believe and quite often what we thought was correct from years ago gets proven wrong somewhere down the line but so-called conventional science has proven that you can rewire the brain so that different areas can do the tasks that the area that was supposed to isn't doing because of brain damage or, or whatever so you were already making that happen and going into those realms before it was as generally accepted as it is now yeah yeah i mean i was just wanting to help you know for, for, for whatever way i could she i think her 
as well her belief in me because she'd seen my shows in Ibiza she'd come every week and see my shows and she was amazed at what could happen to a stage you know in a stage hypnosis show and I often get that as I'm sure you do when you do a stage hypnosis show you get lots and lots of people come up to you and say oh can you help me with this can you help me with that and and I tend to say uh, which I always do I always put the uh, let's hypothetically say they live in Blackpool or wherever. Yeah. I'm in Ibiza for, for six months. I would say to them, right, when do you go home? Oh, next week. Okay, right. Go and see a hypnotherapist in Blackpool or London or wherever. Go and see one. Uh, well, which one do I see? How do I know which one is any good? And I would say, look, and they said to me, do you know them? I went, no, England's a big place. I would mm. say, the best thing you can do is um, email them, email three or four, ask them what they charge, um, get recommendations, you know, go with who you feel comfortable with. Uh, and I would always pass the onus back to the hypnotherapist because they're going to get work from me because I'm out there doing it and the people are seeing it and they're either believing it or not believing it, but the curiosity of their mind has opened up and they need help for for whatever way, it's depression or whatever. Uh, but as long as I could help them, give them that advice. And if they took that advice and go and do it, then, you know, wow, I feel great that I've helped someone to, to improve their life. So that's what I would do. Excellent. Do you, and don't worry, this isn't a trick question. I'll clarify it's not a trick question in so much as, I will say in advance, if you do do this, I know you will do so in a manner that is completely safe yes. and ethical. So therefore, that removes any potential trick element of the question, because in, which would only apply in England anyway. Uh, well, and maybe um, Sweden. There's a couple of other places have laws, ridiculous laws like we do. But do you ever combine hypnotic suggestion technique shall we say with your performance of magic never the only reason i never mix hypnosis and magic is one reason only if i did a magic trick in let's say a stage hypnosis show as an example and i did a, a a memory trick, uh, whatever, mind reading trick. If some people, because of YouTube nowadays, they can find out pretty much lots of things. Yeah. If they found out it was a, a per se a trick, then it would question in their mind that the whole hypnosis show is a trick and not real. That's my only reason why I don't do magic and i separate it totally one's for magic one's for stage hypnosis that's my only otherwise if i thought they sat well together and um, then i would i would probably maybe do a few magic I mean, that makes total sense in terms of because of the fact that you don't want it to harm the perception of your stage hypnosis shows what, what yeah. what's your thoughts on the people out there that you've got an ever-increasing, this is going to sound like I'm being somewhat critical, huh. uh, there's an ever-increasing number of magicians. Yeah. Sadly, for a lot of them, I use that term loosely. And if that offends you, anyone watching or listening, that's because it's you. <laughs> Otherwise, it wouldn't offend you. Who are um, learning street hypnosis techniques from certain individuals 
who haven't got a clue, I'm not going to mention names because they don't deserve the publicity, who don't have a clue about health and safety, duty of care, the actual real dangers of hypnosis. And yes, hypnosis is potentially dangerous. Uh, Mr. Magician or Mr. Mentalist bloody watching or listening to this, who are combining, apparently they are told by the people selling them these things, very safe and innocent techniques combined with magical trickery in their close-up magical performances. And it's never going to enter their head about you know what you said because they don't do stage hypnosis shows per se um what what do you think about that sadly ever increasing breed of people who frankly haven't got a fecking clue what they're doing in my opinion yeah i mean yeah my opinion i'm old school you know i'm i'm the old school whereby you and, and being medically trained as well i mean you know if somebody has a I'm trying to think of something that they may have um, an, an asthma attack or anything, you know, whatever. But whether it's through their own thing or whatever, they, they've got to not know how to deal with it, you know, and they wouldn't know anything like that or, or um, you know, reaction or something. So, yeah, I think it's it can be quite dangerous. Absolutely. And so, you know, I, I, that's the reason why I... I I, I do teach, but I only used to teach one person a, a year. And and when I did that, I would only teach them one at a time, just only because I didn't want a bunch of like people, if I was t- teaching 20 or 30 at a time, eventually it's coming and stealing my job in Ibiza, because that's where I live, and that's my job, you know. Yeah. So I wanted to teach one a year and, and say, you don't come to Ibiza because I'm here, and, you know, you better look in the mean, you've got air and, you know, stuff like that. And so... That's all I would do. That was just my personal choice. That was all. Also, importantly, I noticed people, uh, you'll find at the links below if you go on Dave's uh, website, in your book, you do cover things like first aid. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's quite critical. And, and, And they should have that, you know, because you should know. It's no good knowing a little, what they say, a little bit of dangerous a little bit of information dangerous yeah you should you should know everything or know or know as much as you can to be as you said safe to do what you're going to do so absolutely uh, and you know i've had a, a couple of things happen uh, in the past in my shows out of 20 years and and the first one that happened it, it, it scared me a little bit and and i would you know it's never happened again but um other than that I knew what to do, but anybody who who wasn't, shall we say, trained or not sufficiently known what to do, it would it would scare the pants off them. And and you know, so yeah, I, I think you should be, be adequately trained, should we say? Yeah, I, I I personally believe that whether you're a hypnotherapist or stage hypnotist, equivalent of what is in England classed as First Aid at Work Act regulations yeah. level. Uh, first aid training it, it should be a bare bare minimum absolutely i did a first aid instructor's course and everything but, but i said being medically trained anyway it, it was fine you know 20 odd years as a medic in the, in the navy as chief medical officer when i left so it was it was quite you know 
there's a second nature to me, shall we say, really, any any medical problems that will pop up, shall we say. But yeah, I mean, I, I once, um, the, the story that I'm, I'm going to tell you was, um, I was doing a stage show, and it was um, it was my second show that night, and it was midnight I was on, and a lady come on stage, as well as all the other people, and um, I did the fallback, and um, again, uh, I, as soon as I lay them on the fly, you look at them, make sure they're okay, and uh, she stopped breathing. And yeah. in, uh, just, you know, straight on the back, something. And I was like, oh my, what the. And I've turned on the side into a recovery position and uh, stopped the show, obviously. And it was heaving. There was like 500, 600 people there. Stopped the show, put her in a recovery position and um, tried to bring her around. And she was having none of it, nothing at all. And I woke the other people up, sent them off stage. And um, this lady's still in this recovery position. There's still all these people chatting. Oh my God, with you, you know what's going on. And eventually, um, she came round. And so I took her off stage. We'd obviously stopped the show. This is about 12:30 now in the morning. And I said, and I took her backstage and I said, what happened? And she said, oh, I suffer from sleep apnea, and yeah. I've been told that I should never take part in hypnosis shows. No, for flip's sake. Yeah, and I said, why did you get up then? Because obviously, like you, like another hypnotist, we all have, um, at the beginning of the show, we have a pre thing that we'd say, you do not take part if you suffer from X, 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 covering those things, you know? And uh, she said, oh, I'd had a drink, and I thought I'd get up and help you. You know, it's a midnight show. And I said, please, Whatever you do, do not go and take part in this in a stage hypnosis show ever again. And she agreed. And and she was with her family, so I brought the family in and you know, the um, out the front now they're just playing uh, background music. And um so I said, Right, I said, You okay now? And she said, Yeah, I'm fine, you yeah, no problem. And she was fine, and I said, Okay. And so I said, Look, do you mind if I go out and tell the audience? what's happened because otherwise what will happen is they will think that I caused you to, yes. to stop breathing which it wasn't me it was your you know you sleep apnea do you mind if I tell me she said no so I went back out on stage and I said ladies and gentlemen I need your attention a moment um just to let you know the ladies are fine um the reason that she stopped breathing was because of a sleep apnea, not, nothing to do with hypnosis, blah, blah. However, the, the show's finished, that's it, good night. And then we all went, boo, boo, boo. I went, you want me to carry on? They went, yeah, carry on, carry on. I'm thinking, you're joking. So um, balls of steel per se, went yeah. to, back down in a the, in the seat and I said, right, anybody want to go up and help me? Big flood of people come up on stage, did the show and it was brilliant. And that was balls of steel, you know, but yeah, so... Wow, it was a scary time, but that was the one and only time in 20 odd years, and I was doing shows every night, sometimes twice a night, that that happened to me. So otherwise, nothing else has happened, shall we say? Nothing mm. else. Northern people. So, have you ever had? Well, no, no. I'm going to rephrase that. Have you ever had? It's probably highly unlikely in a B3, I imagine. But I mean, you've done shows elsewhere. I'm going to rephrase this purposely yeah, because okay. I suspect the answer will be yes. And it's more a case of when did it happen? Why yeah. did it happen? Um, 
one of those nights where you go out, there's a reasonable size audience, but you ask for volunteers and no bugger wants to volunteer. Loads, absolutely loads of times. Any hypnotist who tells you that he's exactly. Bill Show is is the biggest lie in the world. I will put my hand up and say I've had loads in the beef. We've all had it, of course we have, yeah. Absolutely loads and loads and loads of them. And I've just gone home with my tail between my legs, or I used to do initially. I would I'd go home, I'd be berate myself, I would I'd be upset, I would blame myself that it was me. Uh, and it would take me a, a while, you know, to, to get over that. And in the end, you know, after after so many years, you get long in the tooth. If you don't do a show, you go, oh, I'm off home now, bye, good night. And that's it. It's totally different. But in the beginning, yeah, it destroyed me. It really hurt. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. As I'm sure many other hypnotists. <laughs> The, the easiest ones I've found, the easiest shows I've ever found were on cruise ships because you've actually got a known audience, 1,500 people, two shows, you've got all the people there and they're, they're coming, you've got, they just want to be entertained, they want to join in. So they were the easiest shows I've ever done. But that's personally. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I've been, I've not done shows officially on cruises but I, were, I was the first headline sounds like I'm bragging first headline speaker on the hypnotist entertainment cruise the incredible hypnotist Richard Barker in America oh yeah 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 started in 2013 yeah uh, so while we're on there for the several days in between delivering the lessons to the students who were there obviously going around the ship and I did hypnotize people all right yeah. let's see so I wasn't breaking any UK hypnosis act before anyone jumps on saying, what a hypocrite. He's always on. Um, it's completely legal and safe. Um, but two things struck me. One, it was like it, it was a, like a posh. I am taking the piss a bit, but it's like a posh holiday camp in a tin can. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And you got and you're around all the bloody people and there are no offense i've got a lot of american friends so I, obviously i don't mean you guys and girls but a lot of americans they're walking around permanently hypnotized yeah and you can't escape them in between your shows or your performances on on the cruise you've got to put up with them because they score you on a rate card don't they and yeah. if you get below a certain score that's it you ain't getting yeah you ain't getting bugged again that there, that that's the only reason why I've turned out. I've been offered cruise work and I've turned it down because it's like I did that with Richard Bach and I thought, for flip's sake, imagine if I had to be nice. You could when you're on the payroll of the cruise line, you've got to be nice to the punters, haven't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you'll see on uh, Dave's YouTube channel there are videos up there, and you will see there's some video footage of you on the. Uh, on the cruise lines, actually, on on, yeah. on YouTube, as I recall. Yeah. So we we kind of gone into the areas of stage hypnosis. We've round into the areas of magic, hypnotherapy. Um, but now you really are. You have moved more into, by the looks of it, your energy seemed to be more aimed towards the acting and the 
the the script writing and stuff where where do you feel hypnosis comes into it now is that just a case of are you actively plugging for work or is it just if it comes in you'll take it but otherwise your energy is on other stuff absolutely yeah yeah focus me energy elsewhere if somebody you know whenever whenever it's going to happen again i mean if it's going to be a couple of years down the line when shows have been happen i i don't know but if if i'm lucky enough that somebody decides to pick up the phone or email me and say will you come and do a show absolutely i'll jump on the bandwagon because being an entertainer it's in your blood do you know what i mean so i'd, I'd jump on it tomorrow yeah as we all would so yeah i'd do that but in the meantime i need to um focus my energy on on, on the acting on the script right uh, and it and it's it gives you a new lease of life you know rather than just wait for the phone to ring or whatever or an email to come I'm, I'm maybe I'm using my mind for something else and something I'm enjoying and and so it's like you know keeping keeping your brain going for want of a better word and keeping yourself from getting in that rut especially in this COVID times now that people could get depressed if they don't you know use your mind and sit home and oh god when's my, when's my next show coming what am I going to do so you know, I'm stimulating myself all the time to to do that, and 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 I'm enjoying it because I'm no good at. If I was good at DIY, I'd be out there now, <laughs> things and you know making this that, and either. But I'm rubbish, so I have to use my mind in in different ways that only I can do. Otherwise, I'd be out there, you know, fixing cars and things like that. But so we all adapt to our own our own mind, what we can do, don't we? Excellent. I'm going to ask you, I've got like three more questions we're getting. We're 57 minutes in, we're going to slightly overrun. Uh, they all sound a little bit negative at first sight, uh, but it's for the educational benefit of people at home. I'd appreciate your view and experience. Firstly, do you think, when I was interviewing Ken Webster yeah. um, a few weeks ago, we, we discussed the area of that these days, the reactions that people are giving, uh, are having to suggestions in a hypnosis show, that they are maybe not quite as uh, animated or imaginative as they used to be. And we went into the rounds that with, you know, Ken and me discussed the, you know, with the whole social media, people being addicted to iPhones, that people are less imaginative. Um, what do you think about that? Absolutely agree. I've seen the changes over the years. I, I agree. I, I saw the interview you did with Ken, and and yeah, I totally agree with it. Uh, I I would see it change over the 20 years. I, I did it from Ibiza. I would see the change in in you know social media. People would be sitting there on the phones in front of you. You're doing a show, and and there's uh, one of a better word there. I say 18, 20 year old kids on the phone, and you're doing this thing, this sketch. One of a better word. And um, the, the attention span is gone, you know, the, the, the attention span's not there, they're, they're on the phones. Uh, and you would find that quite a lot. And um, it would be quite upsetting. And initially it would get to you because you'd be like, why are you not watching my show? If you don't want to be here, why don't you go outside? You, you know, you'd want to, dare I say, chastise them. And in the end, you have to live with it, you know. And yes, they're not as animated anymore because they're not using the brain either. They're just like this. And it's sad, but it's the way it's happening in the times of the world changing. Question two, the three that are in med. You've been all over the world. 
yeah. Hong Kong performing, or I believe that was in a, an expat's venue, so they were English speaking, weren't they? Hey, it was. Hard Rock Cafe, four times I did there. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, so they were expats English speaking, were they? It, 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 they were English, in, they speak English in Hong Kong, um, but they, they, um, on the night I, on the first time it was all English, on the second time I did it, it was English and Chinese, so I had an interpreter. Okay, well that's what I was going to ask you, because uh, I spoke a little bit about using interpreters with, uh, on another Hypnosis Week interview, you can find it at hypnosisweek.com with JT. Yeah. Uh, um, what what was your experience of using an interpreter? Did you go through the pretense of apparently hypnotizing them so that people would think as they're speaking to them, interpreting you that they've got the hypnotic power? Because that's the way I've done it in the past. Yes, as such, yeah. Or I'd just say, you know, if I'm saying this, say that to them, and then they do that. Uh, the, the the difficulty I found is that it, it's a delayed thing, isn't it? Because you're telling it in English and then they've got to do it in Chinese and then it's you're waiting for that reaction to happen. So it's like it's not fast and, you know, snap. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it takes a little bit before you get that that sketch to work, shall we say, you know. So that's the, the only downside I found to it. Yeah, I found it first time doing it very, I'm saying it, interpreters then saying it and you're thinking right in a minute by now if i'd have said it they should be reacting but obviously they've got to wait for the interpreter then by the time you're getting the reaction there's the time disconnect and i'm stood there thinking this isn't working correct and, and also, then suddenly they start doing it yes and also it's how they say it as well because when we as when we are doing a sketch we may enforce or you know make us we, we i don't know may raise your voice or a direct command you, you're giving it totally different as to them it's oh do this it's, it's not going to come across as well is it yeah. You know? so yeah so it does lose its communication in that respect yeah uh so even to this day i was in sweden not end of last year was it end of last year well it wasn't the end of last year it was the end of the year before filming the tv show and I literally, I was doing the old alien sketch. When you oh, wait, yeah. you speak fluent alien, you're the interpreter. And so the interpreter, they're all Swedish people, but fortunately the one who was apparently the alien interpreter spoke enough English that I could interact and say what the alien's saying. Yeah. But I didn't bloody know when they were suddenly, she's asking them stuff and then the aliens are responding. I didn't know, were they speaking Swedish speaking alien yes and uh, all right it was getting last but i, di- I didn't know what, and literally afterwards I, I, I the the producer guy the artist and gsc jeeks and he came up to me and said how do you think that went and i went oh yeah uh, it went fine and he, he said well you don't seem 100 percent happy and i had to admit to him i said well weren't they just speaking swedish because that's why i come to that conclusion that they were just speaking bloody swedish weren't they it sounded the same as before they were aliens he went oh no rest assured they were definitely not speaking swedish and i, I didn't bloody know so i'm stood there thinking i'm oh, this isn't working is uh, madness uh, so yeah that's so yeah interpreters lack of imagination the future and I don't mean COVID-wise, because obviously the whole social distancing thing, but something of a spoke in the wheels. But let's just say we get through this. 
and people, you're legally allowed to get closer to people again. You're allowed to touch them, do dropbacks, whatever. And let's just say that even when that's allowed, there's still going to be issues because there'll be people who in their head, because of the fear that's been instilled, Mm -hmm. that won't feel comfortable with volunteering in those circumstances. But we get to a point where people feel comfortable again. It's as it once was, so to speak, but we moved on several years. Society's carrying on the way it is. What Mm -hmm. do you think the future of stage hypnosis is? Because my prediction is that give it 10 maybe 20 years at most and it'll certainly in the way we know it now it'll it'll fizzle out because the more we get tv shows where the reality tv shows where people will do more and more extreme things without any hypnosis it just defeats the object i think absolutely i i totally agree with you i think you know what's happening now in this area of covid times should we say is for the future i think we, especially, you know, me as the older hypnotist, so I just think it's going to decay away, fizzle out, as you say. I, I think it will. It'll just run its course and that's it. I don't think we'll be, I don't think I'll be working anyway, but anybody who's coming into it, I just don't think it's it's going to happen. I just think it'll, there is no future, as in stage hypnosis. I don't think so. I think it'll just fizzle out. But it could prove me wrong, you know, in 10 years' time, if I'm still alive, we can look back at this and go, hi, he proved you wrong. Or they could say, oh, he was right, or they were right, shall we say. But, yeah, I think it will fizzle out. And comedy yeah. in general. I mean, you saw the whole conversation. People can look. We had this debate with uh, Ken Webster. I had it with Christian Taylor, Doc Strange as well. We live in a time now where, on the one hand, we're supposed to be politically correct, non-racist, non-sexist, non-ageist, not not funny. Yeah. And yet, on the other hand, you can get your Asian comedian go on television and do yeah. a complete act of comedy taking the piss out of Asians because he's taking it out of himself. Yes. So we can get away with doing it. Uh, but then we've got the grey area in between where you'll get your likes of Jimmy Carr and if you're not in England, go on YouTube and type in Jimmy Carr mm-hmm. and go and have a look who will do basically obscene material, you know. I bought myself a rape alarm, so I don't forget when to rape people. And, Mm. yeah, I mean, that's one of his milder ones, seriously. Um, I mean, what what do you make of the whole comedy alarm? I mean, years ago in the early 90s, people were pointing the finger at me saying what I did was obscene. And it wasn't, because most of that was just the way the bloody media wrote it up. Um, other than the few routines that were, I shouldn't have really done, but there you go. But these days, it, 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 there's worse going on on the reality TV shows than anything I ever did or any anything that any of us stage hypnotists has ever bloody done. And yet, on the other hand, you've got people going, "You can't do, you can't do this kind of comedy. It's an oxymoron." It is. It's difficult, and I don't think. I'm very old school. I'm I'm other seventies type comedian type things. So I'm I'm more like, you know, have a laugh and 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 you say something and it's not offen- it's not meant offensive in any way. Mm-hmm. It, it's a joke. It's a joke. Um, but because I'm the old school, when I watch, I, I choose not to watch them. But alternative comedians, I don't. <laughs> 
I, I just don't get it. it, don't, it I don't think it's funny. It doesn't make me laugh. I don't understand it. Maybe because I'm not intelligent enough, but it's just not funny. So I, I don't get it nowadays. I'm like, that's not funny. So to me, it, it's you. I, I watch. I like a joke that makes you laugh. You know, and mm. I suppose each to our own, aren't we? Yeah. Not a joke by definition. It's supposed to have a setup and a punchline. Uh, and all right, people like Jimmy Carr do follow that model, and that's why I think he's. But but yeah, like you said, there's loads of people. They're just hey, it's great to be here. Oh, don't you just hate it when you miss the bus? Yeah. Uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> that's not a gag. No. Like an observational comedy. Yeah, and, and, it, and it's not to me. It's not funny, but. Again, you know, as I said, I'm the old school. I'm not one of these young ones who are growing up in in the different, you know, different age nowadays and different social media. So, but I'm trying to keep up with social media as as you are. You know, I'm on it and addicted to it. But aren't we all? It's a way of life, and and it's the way we get bookings, the way that you know, the way we speak to people, as in like today now with this. So you know, we have to keep yeah. up with. We get left behind, don't we? Well, yeah, and ironically, in a minute, when I've downloaded, after we finish this and I've downloaded it, by the end of today, this will be getting posted around social media. Ah, it's got good and bad sides. Well, excellent. We have gone over the hour. Um, thank you very much indeed for your time, David. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for asking me. It's a pleasure to ask me, so thank you very much. And um, I watched uh, quite a lot of your other uh, videos as well interviewing people so thanks for, for allowing me to chat with you hey thank you and um, people at home uh, if you're on whether you're on the audio version of this listening with no pictures or you're watching with pictures uh in e in any event below this video will be a link to dave's website where his book is available um if particularly when you and also there'll be a link to dave's youtube if when you've looked at his videos or perhaps you've seen Dave perform in the past in Ibiza uh, and you're deciding you want to learn stage hypnosis, perhaps Dave particularly resonates with you. Everyone has their own right teacher. Then I'm sure that if you contact Dave, he may still consider um, taking on the odd personal training uh, with people. And as I say, I'll also put a link to Dave's YouTube as well in uh, and his social media so you can keep an eye out for when his scripts transform onto the stage screen or airwaves yeah thanks a lot for watching everybody thank you once again dave it's been an absolute pleasure all the best thanks i'll have to do now is work out where to press stop recording <laughs>